This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It really means a lot. I want to tell you, use your discretion. If you feel that this is, that, you know, whatever comes out is not what you want to present. If you feel it's overshot, undershot, uh, whatever it is, don't, don't, don't hesitate. It's you use your, your discussion. You know, you know the audience. I want to begin by talking a little bit about your upbringing and specifically the type of Jewish home that you were, that you were raised in. So I think both my home and um, my milieu of upraising is today kind of unusual. My parents were both Holocaust survivors. I grew up with Yiddish as my first language. It was not, I didn't speak English till second grade. Um, I grew up in Lower East Side, which is a museum piece. It was a wonderful place and a tragic place. It had tens and tens of thousands of Jews. It was the tail end of the people who had settled as immigrants and their children, perhaps. The Yiddishkeit was positive, traditional, but something happened. Either you went to yeshiva and your Yiddishkeit became solidified, you understood what you're doing, why you're doing, you became enthusiastic and positive about it, or you went off and it just evaporated. So um, that's where I, that's my background. So I went to RJJ, which was a school that today would include it would be something like from the left to the right and everything in between. Um, and, you know, and, and, and it's, it, was, it, was the, it was sort of the a generation that separated into the different factions, yeshivish, Hasidish, and not religious, somewhat religious, traditional. And that was, that's where, that's my background. So it happens to me, my brother-in-law is currently a Sholem Eshev in RJJ. It preserves a certain type of uh, Yiddishkeit that is quite uh, charming and less and less common uh, in, in America now. Uh, eventually, you decided to study in Eretz Yisroel in the Mir, and you studied under the renowned uh, both Reb Chaim Shmulevitz and Reb Nachum Persavitz. Why did you decide to go to Eretz Yisrael? That was much less common than uh, what we see now, for sure. So I'll, I'll be very forthright. Somewhere in the middle, I began to get into learning, and I wanted to make my life centered around learning. In those days, there was not a strong love for learning at all. Lakewood had 200 people, maybe, and it was very, very difficult. Um, and it was there was a lot of pressure, and Eretz was a place where people would sit and learn. And Reb Nachum and Reb Chaim were, were towering figures, and it was like the dream was like kind of I don't want to use the word like Harvard, but that was the idea Reb Nachum and Reb Chaim. So it was a combination of wanting to have a stress-free environment vis-a-vis the learning, and having the sense of greatness of Reb Chaim and Reb Nachum. What's always fascinated me is that you eventually married into one of the most prominent families of Torah, education, and leadership in Israel, the Rav Benish Finkel, who was the head of the Mir at the time. And for most people, it was the dream um, setup where you could have, I assume, 
uh, taught in the mirror or taught in yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael. And at some point in your life, you decided to come back to America and teach Torah and begin a yeshiva in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is not Lakewood for those, you know, who, who don't know a map carefully. We got geography. Those, those are geography needs a bit of uh, yeah. touching. So I, I, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the decision not to stay in Eretz Yisrael and teach Torah there, where the yeshivas were thriving much more, and come back to the United States, and not just come back to the United States, to Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Lakewood, but to go to Silver Spring, Maryland, where, again, I was in yeshiva about a, an hour away in, in near Yisrael. Silver Spring is not known right now as the Ir HaToyrah necessarily. It's not known as the, the citadel of Torah learning. So why, why did you make that choice? So first of all, I did live in Yisrael 25 years. It's 50 years since I came to Yisrael. And I want to correct something you said. I didn't, it's not, I didn't start the yeshiva. It's not my yeshiva. It was started by Rev. Eina Mazachayna who was the rav of the town, of the city, and he started a yeshiva high school in the 60s when nobody there was sending to yeshiva high schools. Mr. Snefesh was incredible. So yes, I've been in charge of yeshiva Dola, but the 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 the, the, the of, of, of founding a, a Mokim Torah is Rev. Eina Mazachayna Yibara L'chaim Rabbi Merkin came in about 35 years ago, 36 years ago, and he energetically moved the yeshiva tremendously forward with his tremendous uh, capabilities. He was the one who fought tooth and nail and got the funding for yeshiva dollars. So I really need to get credit there. But but I want to tell you, I, I was there for a day or two to look at it. And I saw the boys and I liked it. It reminded me a lot of where I came from, the sincerity, the, 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 the it's, it's, it's people, whether the people were modern orthodox or whatever name you want to call it, there was genuineness, sincerity, intelligence, openness. It's it, it very, very much, I felt I could connect well. I felt that this is where I was 25 years ago. And I'd like to be a catalyst in people's lives the same way that, you know, people have been a catalyst in my life. And, um, and Baruch Hashem, I've never looked back in that decision. And, and it's, it's you know, 25 years later, seeing the way the town developed in, in a very tonical way, in a very positive way. And it, you know, really the color of the doesn't make a difference. It's a sincerity. It's a commitment to Shmir Samitsis in, in a very positive way. It's learning. And uh, Baruch Hashem. So, so um, it, I, I, I guess... I hate to sound corny, but I think it was Hashem had a lot to do with it. So, so, um, and I really feel as satisfied. In Baruch Hashem Yerushalayim, there are a thousand people who can do the job. I could do it much better. This was an, an opportunity where maybe I could make the difference because I could come down there and, and be there. It's you know, Baruch Hashem. Maybe you could speak a little bit, having lived in Eretz Yisrael and and. In Marbet's Torah in Eretz Yisrael, Torah in Eretz Yisrael, and also in America. Can you speak a little bit about the differences between the Torah community in Israel and the Torah community in America? And what are the challenges facing each? Um, I guess, going back to the Torah life model, the ability for that to express itself in a Balabatish community as well where people can also choose not to make Torah their calling and still um, and, and still be part of that world is a big challenge. 
And what happens is you get a lot of divides. And, and it doesn't make a difference which, which way you're passionate. And people are very, very strong-minded about what they think. And therefore, they, they will um, be very passionate. And they're going to uh, not, uh, it's going to be difficult to get along. So that's a stroll, the, the being extremely powerfully focused and passionate um, produced a, a core of a very, very powerful Torah group. You have, you have the Torah at a tremendous level. On the other hand, that that become an entire panorama of a community is a challenge um, on, on getting along with other people in a way that allows for that interaction is, is, a, is a challenge. That's Eretz Israel. In America, there is such a, what's, I don't know if the word is respect, but being materially well-to-do is, is really down deep um, a mark of success. And it draws people and it's all consuming. You, you, you can be a, you can, whatever your persuasion is, if you're into making money and a lot of it, it has a way of dragging you away from core values. And it's it's a struggle. So you, you'll have people that are sitting and learning, very dedicated way. You'll have wonderful communities, but but the 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 amount that you need to make it between tuition and this and that, and then the, the possibilities, the potentials, and the draw of making a lot, a lot of money has has, has a lot of challenges. So I, I see the challenges. Each community has its own forte in America. People do there's a, people have an easier time of moving from yeshiva to out of yeshiva. It's not as strongly defined as sharply defined. Communities do have a way of getting along uh, much easier with each other. It's, it's all part of the same picture. On the other hand, um, it's it's easier to get sucked into a thousand and one things. And nominally, you, you might have a black hat, you might have a strimal, might have a kipasuga, but it's all about nicer, better you know, and, and whatever it is. So those, those, I think, are each each place has its own challenges and Akashvaru puts different challenges for different communities. I want to talk about the the novelty, the chiddush of your uh, book, which has changed so many lives, uh, Ben Torah for Life. Uh, it's a book about the transition from uh, the yeshiva world, from an institutional religious life, into the working world. And you talk about it a little bit in the introduction, but I was wondering if you could speak more about why write this book. And if you were worried at all, because other people have written books like this, uh, maybe you know a few decades ago, and were criticized as almost like you're, you're building a doorway outside of the yeshiva that people should leave. So was there concern uh, when, when you were first developing this book about uh, both balancing the yeshiva values of the book, but also helping that transition. So, so why did you write it? And were you concerned a little bit about, about criticism? So even more worried about criticism is the, the, that point. And, and, and in a certain sense, my own personal feelings are um, almost a and a conundrum, and and I, I want to explain where I'm coming from. This is I, I think this is a critical piece to understanding where I'm coming from with the book. And um, let's first take a muscle. 
um, this is what I was learning in school and geography. I don't know if they still teach geography, but the, in those days, the geography, they explained why a real map of the world is impossible. Because the world is a globe. It's a, it's a ball of some sort. When you want to flatten it out, you're going to lose something. So you either have, if I remember correctly, there were three possible maps. You either lost the, the, the correct um, shape or the size, the relative sizes. That's why Greenland can look like a small thing when it's usually huge and so on. Or you could have these orange slices where things are fairly accurate, but they're disjunct. And those are the really annoying maps. I don't know, again, <laughs> I know where they have these slices. I know exactly. I can never read them. I know exactly <laughs> what you're describing. <laughs> They always said this is the most accurate. I, I couldn't look at it. It looked horrible. It, it, it's very unpleasant to the eye. And, and, and the, basically, the point is, you know, you cannot take a three-dimensional thing, make it two-dimensional without losing something. And the point I'm trying to make in the book is the dissonance between the years and the shmuz and the minds of the yeshiva to the years afterwards would be a, is, a, is the same as Shevet Levi to other shvatim. There's a piece in your soul that sits there and says, I remember what it was like sitting on a Thursday night, all night, trying to get a character Vegas Kasha and knowing nothing else makes a difference. That that should be like the, the core, the, the, the nuclear reactor of a person, the shaman. Then the person has to ask himself, what am I supposed to do now? What are my obligations? I have a family, I have to feed them. I need, I need to do X, Y, or Z. I have capabilities. I have responsibilities. So the, I can't think of one book that will include it all, except for the Torah. And what you do need is two sets of shmuzen. I feel the Achilles here. I, I think the reason why there's a need for a book is boys have plenty of strong, fiery models in the younger years, 17, 18, 19. But when they're 24, 25, and they need to start thinking of life, what am I going to do? What's my role? How do I belong? They're no longer in any framework that, that has that type of personality. And, and then there's no real sense of somebody being able to sit down quietly and say, listen, for you, this is, you're making a decision to go this direction this is what you should do and so on. So I, I didn't even realize, I, I, I think that was the point where it comes in. It's, it's coming in to say, okay, there's a message that's appropriate at one phase of life. There's a message at the second phase, the message at the third phase. I once read, I remember as a young boy, and I couldn't understand it. It said that the Alta of Kellum, who was the Balmusa in his generation, arguably he was his, he trained the Mashkichim of, of the next generation. And he would say Shmuz in Yeshiva. And he also spoke for the Balabatim in the Shul. Bachrim were not allowed to go and to hear any Shmuz in the Shul. It was strictly prohibited. One Bacher decided, you know, he, he wanted to hear, he went, and he, and he said afterwards, he really regretted it. He felt that that that, he, that it wasn't the right message for him. So, so um, it, it, there was the times in life, and each time needs to understand what what is the what's the appropriate things to do. It's the same way on person, let's say a person is a Bacher. So learning 24-7, is, is, is a wonderful message if, if a person can do it. If he gets married, even if he's sitting in Kolo, he needs to be, he needs to, he needs to begin to understand what it means to spend time to life.
with your children. Um, it, it may be doing something for community. It, it's, it's a message that needs to come in at a later time in life. And I think that that's where I was coming from. In the introduction to the book, you talk a little bit with stronger terminology about the, you, you use the term yourself like uh, dissonance, the pain when you leave and when you look back at everything that you invested and you kind of, you don't see the dignity and uh, the, uh, the, the dividends from that investment pay off. Is there ever a time where we could be um, pumping people up almost too much, where they get too excited and then they almost over-invest in a specific path? Or is the right way, and I guess this is, this is a little bit more in the direction you did, pump them up when they're 16, 17, but, but then you have to ease them out. But the danger, and maybe you could talk about this, is the how do you talk to somebody when, they, when there's the regret, when there's the cynicism? That when that cynicism creeps in and that anger creeps in, what could we explain to people that they don't look at that initial investment in their more passionate teenage, early 20s years and look at it with negativity and, and almost anger? There's, a, there's something that's not in the book because it's also relevant, but I think it's, very, it's, it's an important point that we need to stress more in yeshivas as follows. We talk about becoming a godel. So the word sounds like um, everybody becomes a Reb Chaim Kanievsky of sorts. And that's our image of a Godel. That image, even if you stay in yeshiva, is, is an image that you at some point you're going to dash your head against the racks, except for the one Reb Chaim Kanievsky. So I don't think that that's even a true image to feed people in. A finer version of it and more true, which was a Slabotka model, and, and, and it really is, is, is the Emmis. We have to begin to define a big person on personal terms. In other words, to be able to understand that if you're able to control your actions through your ideals and your safel, you're a big person. If you're able to do things that you know you should do, even though you don't feel like doing them, you've become a bigger person. If, if you don't feel a need to sort of publicize yourself and you're, you're happy with what you're doing because it's the right thing, even if no one knows about it, Gandalf's Adam means being a very big person. So if I am now, I'm just kind of picking age, I'm 30. And no, no, no job in the um, Torah world is opened up for me or is, is suitable for me. And now I'm going on to going to have to go to law school or get into a business from the bottom. And it's going to take me three, four more years. It's a lot of hardship and sacrifice. But I know what I sacrificed for. And I know what I accomplished. I'm a big person. I know I know Mesechtis. I, I, know, um, I, I know big things. I'm, I'm, I've, I've gained control of myself. That's, so at least I know what it's for. It's one thing if, if, if my dream was childish and self-centered of being just having my, my pictures flashed in the papers. I mean, also nobody thinks of that way, but down deep, that's what that is saying. And I should become the household name. So now I'm nobody. So then people, then, then I'm neither here nor there. 
But, but if people were to have a sense that the years they spent in yeshiva made them big people, different people. Um, I, I, I saw, I, I want to tell you a story, you asked me about my early years, that really, really made an impression on me. It's a small story, but it's a, it, it's a, it, it's a big story. Um, the first year I was in Israel, I had cousins in Tel Aviv. Very special person, very special person. I came there for Shabbos. In those days, Tel Aviv was a traditional city. No, it, it was not a true city, but people were more traditional. There were quite a few from older people living there. Shabbos afternoon, I went for a walk. They wrote the Rothschild. And I sat down on a bench and an older couple came by. They were what you'd call very Balbatish people. They very nice. They stopped. They asked me, I'm from, what I'm doing. And I said, I came to Israel, I'm learning Yeshiva. And they said, oh, that's so nice. We also have a son. And he's learning in Yeshiva. I think it was Marcus Zarab, they said. I don't remember. And you should know, we're so proud. He's a real Talmud Chacham. And you know, whatever. So I reflected something, something about the, 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 the semantics that they used. I said, in America, I'd be hard-pressed to find people like that proud of the son of yeshiva. But if I would, they would say he's the best Bachan Lakewood. Nobody would say I'm proud because he's a big Talmud Chacham. They would say he's the best, he's the biggest, he's the brightest. He's, he, they, they would only be able, and I said to myself, that must be something unique about it's Israel. It, it, struck, it, it, it stuck in my mind, the, 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 the scene. I think if we were to give Bachrim an internal goddess, you know, um, whatever it is that you accomplish, I know these mesechtes, I know these these simanos shaharos. I've I've worked on myself, and and I'm a different person. And and the ten years I spent learning, it gave endowed me with a certain with a certain godless personal godless. Then then people would understand what they sacrificed for. In your book, you use an amazing framework about the notion that there are 12 Shvatim, there are 12 tribes, and that's not only with the Jewish people, but that's even inside of you, and kind of fostering the, the notion that there is a Shevet Levi, the, the, the tribe that dedicated itself to Torah learning. You can, you can foster that ember, develop that ember inside of you. There's another theme that's adjacent to that, this notion of, you know, the 12 tribes of the Jewish people. Um, and we're going to come back to the tribes that reside inside of you. But it, you, you wrote a remarkable article that, you know, a lot of people were speaking about, um, about the notion and idea of Mashiach and redemption. And one of the things that you talk about relates squarely to the theme that we want to discuss which is about connecting, you know, we talk about big people inside of you, but big people who can encompass all of the Jewish people. More than one time in your writing, you have reminded the yeshiva world of the fact that their association with Klal Yisroel is really through a funhouse mirror of sorts. Because when we close our eyes and think about Klal Yisroel, we think about all the yeshivas. We think about all the people who are learning. And we forget the fact that 90% of the Jewish people don't really, they're not connected to this at all. So my first question that I want to understand is how does the broadly speaking communities of Shevet Levi, how do they develop an, 
dare I say, appreciation or at least a connection to the other shvatim, so to speak. How do we foster that? Because we need that insularity. We need these communal norms and the boundaries. But at the same time, we keep on forgetting about the rest of Kal Yisrael. Yes, I, I, I mean, obviously that's the point I was making. So there are so many opportunities let's say, out-of-town colon type of opportunities, seed programs, as important as they are for the communities you go to, I think it's equally important for the people that are in the yeshiva to look around and to understand. And again, the problem is when, when your 17-year-old boy or 18-year-old boy is when you hear most of the Musa Shemusen, and, and there the message should be kids that age want to run all over the place and you tell them, you know, nail yourself to the to the to the chair and and learn and let somebody else worry about clients and so on. And, and again, that's usually age appropriate. But when somebody gets a little older, encouraging younger lights to have chavrusas out of that frame. Um, it, it's one of the things where I think our Kaddish Baruch who set up the yeshiva world to be dependent on the world outside financially, so that they actually interact, they actually care. It, it, it's, it's, uh, the says it, that the, um, the grape should daven for the, for, the, for, the, for the leaf because without it, it has no kiem of its own. Um, it's, it's something which um, should, those connections should be fasted. And, and um, I, it's, it's something for us in yeshiva, since our yeshiva is actually physically located smack in the middle of the social community, it also is the open-based measure community, and there's a lot of connection. So sometimes it's a little bit disruptive. Obviously, yeshiva would like to have its own suda. On the other hand, it, it, it gives boys a certain sense of what's out there. So part of a chinuch process would be at the appropriate times to make those connections. Seed programs are a wonderful opportunity. Out-of-town column are a wonderful opportunity. Many many of, of, of these programs nominally are for the benefit of the people in the Karib. I think it's for the benefit of the people um, sitting in the base medrash. Um, my Rebbe, Chayesh Bolevitz, was a phenomenal masmid. He could be seen as the quintessential masmid, but he would repeat often the, 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 the chazal about Rebbe Yane was um, he... he, he um, and Amaretz came and told him that it's your fault that I'm not learning Torah. You stole it from me. He said, what do you mean? It says, Torah It's my Yerusha, and I never got my share. So you probably are holding my share. And he would speak about that. He, he, he would talk about that. Um, even, I'll tell you, even in a yeshiva, encouraging a stronger boy to learn some part of the time with a weaker boy, um, is, is important. I want to tell you something that in the Mir Yeshiva in Europe was considered the, the Yeshiva, the Mir. They spoke about the Mir. It was, it was sort of the Yeshiva that fed in from all of the Yeshivas and you know, rightfully considered itself to be the, the king of Yeshivas and so on. And Rebbe Leizudel made it tough to get in and they had the Chash, the, the Chaburis there. He had a very fascinating um, methodology any, he, he under, in those days, even Bachram got money from yeshiva 
to support their needs. In other words, like like kolol, there was no dormitory or kitchen, so the yeshiva gave you the money to buy food and rent a place. And Reb would underpay, or in his mind, I think he was paying enough, but but he was, um, you know, he didn't pay a lot. And he would, any good bacher, he would have learned with a, a weak, wealthy boy from Germany or America. There were German-American bachim taken in yeshiva. This this was, irregardless of what Madrigal were on, he felt, you have to you know, be my story there, that they're not going to send these big geonim to yeshiva. So German and American bachim weren't there. There are quite a few that were alive. Some of them became Dola Olam, Salberg, and so on. But he, he had it arranged that a very strong bachel would learn with a weak one, and he would pay him. I believe, it's, he didn't say why, but I believe part of it was to foster that sense of caring about that other kid also. There are Jews that need to learn, and this is a way in which he got that connection. So there are many ways to foster connection so that people understand the thirst for learning, and 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 the sense of what it means to teach another yitayra. So, I'm trying to phrase this in a delicate and a sensitive way, and and it's a, it's something that you've you've touched on already. But in the model that the yeshiva or uh, somebody in a kolel, when they meet somebody, so to speak, from the other shvatim, it's uh, it's an opportunity for. Um, for Kirov, so to speak. It's an opportunity to teach them Torah. Right. My concern with that is that the, the other, so to speak, becomes like a, you know, like a utilitarian, you know, it's somebody who I can rope in. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little more about the appropriateness of like appreciating the space where they are right now, which is a dangerous thing and, and maybe contributes even to that dissonance because you leave into the working world and you're 30 and you're working with, uh, with other people in your law firm or in business and, and they don't want a chavrusa and they don't want to just sit and, and learn with you. And it's not a seed program where I got to go to Sydney, Australia and you had to roll people in. So it's not necessarily, you don't have the utilitarian, and I mean that in a spiritual way, like the ability to like be mashpia, it's a different framework. So how do you develop or should you develop an appreciation for like where they are? Because it's dangerous. There's like, you're kind of granting that there are Jews who are totally removed from a proper Jewish education and observance, but on the end, and you want to get them closer, obviously. But on the other hand, if, if getting them closer is always front and center, it can undermine like the, the dignity of where they are. I think Part of, of the broader, I guess, Musa education is to sensitize a person to other people. Usually, in all these situations, let's say like in seat programs, out of time, call them, you begin to appreciate other people. You begin to understand being close to people and having a, a modicum of, of menschlichkeit um, tends to make you understand and feel the other person and um, what's good about him, what's wonderful about him. Um, I wrote, actually, I, I was, I, I debated, I, I, I put out, I don't mean to advertise my experiments, but a book on Rus, it, it was, it's an adaptation of Nachas Yosef. And in the, in the back I wrote, 
a memoriam about um, my mother, Lea Shalom. Um, I used to say a shi'an, and Rus, so that, that's the um, why I wrote about it. And I wrote, I, I debated about writing it. You know, her her, her father was a Siddish, the kids all went, you know, mostly socialist on this, so on. And I wrote that my two or three uncles that were left after the war, um, it, when I was young, I was kind of very, very taken aback. They were very... And vociferously, uh, let's put it non from. But as I got older, I began to I began to feel for them. I began to understand why they were so angry. They began to see they were very good in different ways. There were a lot of good points about it. And it was a process for me of growing up and being able to understand where and why they were, why they espoused what they espoused. And and what's good and wonderful about them as people, um, it's 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 complex. It takes you know again younger people like to see things black or white. I always say when I was young, when I was a teenager, somebody who spoke extreme and fiery and black or white was phenomenal. Somebody who hemmed and hawed and was even-handed was um, either had sold as the shama or didn't have good ashkafos. When I got older, I looked back at some of the things that I was turned on when I was younger, and I was kind of horrified. But this passage about my uncles, I I, I asked people. I, I was it's very sensitive. I didn't, you know, and someone said, "Well, it's it's it'll help people understand other people." So I think it's part of Musa is to sensitize people to other people, understand where they're coming from understand what's good and beautiful and noble about different people. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's one of the, it's one of the big mistakes, I believe, in Kiro type things. If you come in as a missionary and you know everything and the other person knows nothing and you're good and the other person is only potentially good and that's it, very, very tough. To, to, I mean, then you're attacking the other person and um, you're denying him value and self. Not, not a, I, I don't think that can work terribly well. Um, but if you feel the other person, understand the other person, you have to understand where the other person's approach to Ruchnis is, and then see how that wends its way into Yiddishkeit. Um, it takes appreciation for another person. It takes um, some level of understanding. It, it, it takes patience. Um, but it's it's Emma's, I believe, and it works. You wrote this safer for Shavit Levy. What would you tell per, the proverbial Shavit Dunn, somebody who didn't have a Jewish education, who um, who grew up and maybe or he had a Jewish education that they roll their eyes now. It's it, it's not for them. They it didn't it didn't seep in. The passion didn't work for them. And now they find themselves totally on the outskirts or maybe even regretting or being cynical about anything that seems um, more serious and more, um, more, more tired in a way. What's the book? What's the avenue? What are the strategies that you would tell somebody who finds themselves in, uh, on the outskirts? I think the first question a person needs to ask himself is, this Yiddish guy that I'm talking about, would I give my life for it? You know, push came to shove. The um, whoever was standing with a gun, and most people would say, 
probably yes, or, or, or it's, it's something that they would definitely feel they needed to do, so whatever it is. And then ask yourself, is it, it, it doesn't have to mean more than just something I happen to pick up, kind of customs or something. Most people down deep have a strong sense of, of, of like, if push came to shove, came to shove, how much would you do to save Yiddishkeit? And then, so, so why would I want to live a life that a deep part of me feels is so important, but it's not been translated? I need, I need to be able to flesh out those values and rethink them in a way that, that this is a life meaningful enough to be willing for most nefesh. We read the stories about people who are most nefesh and gave their lives with tremendous admiration. And obviously, there's something more to it than just kind of a nice custom, a nice this, nice that. There was a fellow who came to Asia Torah many years ago. This is, I taught in Asia Torah from 83 to 90. He was there, I guess, 85. Very sweet fellow, very intelligent. He had a traditional upbringing, possibly affiliated with the conservative movement. And he came to Shiri, wanted to learn, but he did not want to become overly observant. I guess he wanted to be observant, but not like... And so Shabbos, he would slip away. He had, he had cousins who lived someplace who were also kind of, I, don't, I have no idea exactly how to identify themselves, but let's put it this way. They, they, they were, they did everything with great moderation. And they were very afraid he would get too into it. So they would always tell him, don't become too religious. Don't become too religious. Don't become too religious. And finally, they once told him, wherever there are opinions about halacha, the most coolidic opinion is the opinion you should pick to, to follow. And something snapped and he said, fellas, if you don't feel like doing it, why the heck are you doing it? For him, that was like a defining moment. And he became a real mentor. He ended up learning the mirror for a few years. Uh, really very fine mentor. Um, and the point was, it, it really, this, this constant uh, advice finally brought home to him. What's the point of it? If it's not important, then what's the point of it? If, you know, Yiddishkeit is too demanding to be a, a, a nice custom. It either is genuine or let's, let's, let's leave it at, at Latkes and, 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 and Hamantash. But if it's meaningful enough, we're down deep, I feel tremendously deep sentence. I, I need to flesh it out and to bring it out and to learn about it. I need to learn and, and understand it emotionally and intellectually. Really beautiful, and I so appreciate it. I have three quick uh, questions. One might be a drop longer that we usually wrap up. I, I really appreciate the time that the Rosh Hashiva took out to speak about this. It means a great deal. And I always ask, I'm just curious, all guests about their daily schedule. I'm always curious about when people uh, go to sleep and when do they wake up? <laughs> Um, I, I guess the, the older I get, the more I find that the early in the morning is 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 the most um, what's the right what's the right word for it um, quality time. For some reason, uh, um, you know, when you're young, the, so I try hard to get up as early as I can. It doesn't make difference what time, and and um, and go to sleep as early as I can because simply you, you get less phone calls early in the morning than you do late at night. And um, and I find my head is much clearer. So so it's been a shift in my life that that's the direction direction I moved in. 
In your article about uh, sometimes Mashiach is not the solution, you mention the, you lament the fact that people do not study enough Jewish history. Yeah. What books would you recommend for somebody who wants to learn more about Jewish history, but specifically to connect to the wider body of, of Jewish life, of Jewish, pe of Jewish peoplehood? It's complicated. It's, it's something that's been a fantasy of mine. If only I could put out something or get somebody to put it out, like I'm not going to be able to do it. Um, I guess what you want is to understand what you're basing history on, which means documents, writings. You know, it, it's, I, you see things where people just write and you say to yourself, that's amazing. Where's it coming from? You also want to have an overarching understanding of history. Um, and, and to me, a, a typical secular historian is trying to, or academic is trying to find it, what's the context of issues that created um, the Torah and, and, and mentality of the people that live at a certain time, or not only Torah mentality, it's, it's any histories like that. I would like to understand it. I believe a Kaddish Baruch Hu, it says, Dor Lador, every generation has a context and a mission. What were the challenges of each generation? And what was the Torah that came about and the direction that rose to meet it? Whether it was Hasidus, the Musa movement, and the contemporary Shiva movement, the Farah Baratzos, the, 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 the Torah and the I'm going to understand the context of issues and problems and the, the I, I unfortunately, you know, I, I, the different things I read that I find have the facts and they, you know, sort of stand facts. Some of them put it together in certain ways. I, unfortunately, I, I haven't found it. So I haven't done exhaustive research. Something that would give that context of understanding what have we, what challenges have we faced each generation? Where have we achieved something? And where do we still need to do something? Is there a book that you have found been surprised by that like, wow, this, this really opened up um, uh, pieces of Jewish history? I'll tell you, I found writings. Um, there was somebody, he, it, it, um, he has an, a lot of different monographs. Um, his name is Greenwald. He was a Hashem Rav. He came to America. He was Robin Columbus. Um, he wrote a Colbert Avelis, which was the, Col the popular Avelis book until it was you know, overridden by modern stuff. He has a lot of wonderful monographs about different, you know, it was a very stormy Tkufa that he lived in. And he wrote about other stormy Tkufas. Everything he writes has a notation of where, where does he get it from? And he's writing, and, 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 and he's a from Aralika person, so he's, he's a Torahica person. But he's also writing in a, in a way that's very, very open, candid. And you get a sense of what were the issues and he, and he wrote on a lot of different things. Now, some of the things are debatable. Like, you know, I could agree or disagree. I, it doesn't, I, that's neither here nor there. But I, I liked very much the style. A, he's coming with the fact, with facts. Um, and he's, and he's, he, he feels the need to footnote everything. He's not telling you things that take my word for it. He's, you know, his, his annotations too. He's, he's understanding everything with a Torah view. And he also is open and frank about challenges and where, where we, we were less than stellar in meeting those challenges.
Final question, um, and, and you touched upon every generation having its own uh, struggle. Uh, this yeah. has been a challenging year for the Jewish people. I'm, I'm curious uh, what the Rosh Hashiva would say is the biggest challenge facing American Jewry, and what is the biggest opportunity right now? I think, if I can give, again, we'll, we'll, we'll use an analogy. Life has become very comfortable for us physically, which means unless we're in the gym, we lose the ability to use a lot of our muscles because we take the car everywhere and we, we have the robot cleaning up everything and so on. So instead of using these machines to help us, my, I always use a muscle. If I walk up to five miles and I use a car for anything past five miles, the car has become an addition to me. If I use the car to go to my next door neighbor, then it's crippled me. The ability to have so much, so when it, 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 it's so much shefa, um, but when we had challenges, Ruchnius built muscles. Um, I remember when I came to the mirror, there was a big mach that lent you a gemara for his man, and you brought it back and got back your deposit. Today, by us in the yeshiva, at the end of this month, we collect a dozen boxes of sperm, almost brand new, and nobody wants to claim them. If you have the name and you call it up, you call them up and you say, Yankali, Olofi Gemari, he says, give it to somebody. So nobody wants it because, you know, it, it, it's it's the most, somebody's made a business of it, actually. He charges you to take those Gemaris. <laughs> and I don't know what he does with it, but he does so, so the fact that we have in, in, in the mini yeshiva in Europe who had the magnificent library, you had to sign up two days in advance to look at a Rashba. So when you looked at a Rashba, you focused, you memorized it, you knew it. Today, it's it's become going to yeshiva. In my days, like it was a challenge. I went to Israel so that I didn't wasn't disturbed. Today, Baruch Hashem, everyone goes automatically. So do does it does it generate the same amount of juice? I went to Eretz Yisrael, I never dreamt when I came, I would ever go to Eretz Yisrael and, and seeing the case for the first time in my life was, was an experience that's indescribable, as I'm sure anyone else. Today, we're, it's, 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 you know, you, you go on a, on a, on a uh, you know, fourth grade for their, for their, for their trip in the mid-semester mid goes for, for Israel. Because there's no challenge, our, our ruthlessness of muscles are not being tested and used. And we're flabby. And God forbid when the car breaks, you can't even walk out because you can't walk five meters. So to me, it, the blessing of having so much and so, many, and so much opportunity is wonderful. But um, unless we build our muscles um, and then, then the minute something happens, we're stuck. So we need to understand how to take the blessings of Plantech as Rock gave us and, and not lose what challenges bring out in the person. And in terms of opportunity, which you touched upon, what is the unique opportunities that you found that a, the, uh, the Jewish world in 2020 has that previous generations did not? One, the ability to take a few years and sit and learn and it not and and be able to, to have Parnassa afterwards. I mean, people today to sit and learn until they're 25 is, is almost like it, it, it's, it's not difficult to do at all. 
is so um, so so you can sit and learn seven years and still you go to law school afterwards, go to business, and and you know it's, it's a little bit rough maybe, but but you know Baruch Hashem we have enough comfort. But do the, are those seven years as meaningful as when every week you have to ask yourself how are we make it the next week? It certainly is not as meaningful unless unless you unless you make that effort. So we have the amount the amount of money available so that we can we can take that amount of time, I think is incredible. The fact that mitzvahs, let me give you another example. Somebody asked me about buying his son the best, you know, a blank check, the best pair of film possible. Whatever it costs, person money is no object, is that. I told him, chas v'shalom. He said, don't do that. I said, buy a good pair of film. Let him someday learn the halachas of film, understand what, what these hidurim are about, let him save some money and let him give some of his money. He'll appreciate it a lot more when he decides and says, you know, I want this and these hidurim because I've learned halachas, I think it's important, and I'm willing to take $1,000, $2,000 of mine and add to it. But the idea that you can just hit, run the credit card and get the Moshe Rabbeinu's film is, is is we don't get the idea. This is true even in secular ways. Giving your kid everything he he wants is is the worst thing you can do for him. It, it is the worst thing. And um, earning his way. And so I'm not talking about the the, the stereotype of you know a, a, a Charles Dickens novel where you stand with a pet, you know, and you'll say, okay. If you didn't hold a garden this morning, you ain't getting breakfast. I, I, you know, there's a big difference between that and say, "Oh, Tati, you want a you want an iPad? Okay, the newest model is only a thousand bucks. You know, bring two of them just to make sure that you have one. It, it, you're not helping anyone. You're not doing anything. It, earning and earning things is 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 the greatest satisfaction of life. So, so making things, understanding there are things you can't have. That's what life is. Understanding that things you have to work harder. Understanding you have to make choices. Those are core values across the board. They certainly are very important in the political world. That that a child should feel he needed to make a choice and some sort of sacrifice. Um, if you're learning yeshiva, you're not coming home every 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 Monday, Thursday, whatever it is. There'll be things you'll miss, and and it's hard. But that that makes you choose, and 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 I think rethinking, understanding, it's not just because there's no money, but because it's chinuch, and, and and I think that that's that's going to be a very very big fact in deciding how how our ruchnistic muscles are developed. Thank you so much. It really, uh, the amount of time that you gave and uh, the direction, the guidance, it means a great deal. I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your time with us. And Amir uh, Tashem, we should uh, get to meet once again in person when it's a uh, healthy, good, safe. Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Okay, bye.